Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 268. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Award-winning author and designer Dwight Knowlton has done it again. His book, The Greatest Race, is now available. The Greatest Race is the story of Sir Sterling Moss's epic and record-crushing win of the 1955 Mille Miglia in the Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. In collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss himself, Dwight has created a wonderful children's book from this epic race as a follow-up to his best-selling book, The Little Red Racing Car. I have my own copy of The Greatest Race, and I can tell you, this kid's impressed. Like his previous book, this one is printed in the USA. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find both of his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize the road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're at his website. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Alan Wilson. Alan, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yes, six-point harness on Hans' device. All right. Well, as I said in our pre-show chat, I hope you don't need that Hans' device today. I'll do my best to keep all four tires on the track. Alan Wilson is an internationally recognized race facilities designer and development consultant who's designed and built 33 racetracks and consulted on over 150 others. He was a national-level competitor in car and motorcycle racing. He's one of the few managers to have operated major international events for World Championship Formula One, Superbike, IndyCars, NASCAR, IMSA, GTP, SCCA, and many others. He's earned numerous awards worldwide. His most recent track builds include the Thermal Club in Palm Springs, Ninja Speedium in Korea, and Speed Park in China. Alan, I've told our listeners just a little about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your amazing career in motorsports and the automotive world, your interest, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, it goes back to when I was like six or seven. No, I was about nine ten when I read uh, Mike Hawthorne's book, Challenge Me the Race, and that mm. got me into it. So I started rallying when I was about 18, initially on bikes and then in my MGA. And then I moved into racing bikes when I turned 21 because my dad wouldn't sign off to let me race until I was 21. And then I moved to cars um, in 72 when I could afford a car. Sorry, 70 when Mm -hmm. I could afford a car. And then moved into uh, Formula Ford. And then when my wife beat me, I quit. (laughs) <laughs> because we couldn't afford, we just got married, we couldn't afford two cars, and we sold two and bought one, and she won the South African Championship. That took us to Europe, a year in Holland, racing Formula Ford 2000, then moved to England, and I joined Brands Hatch, and became initially track manager, then uh, circuit manager for four circuits, and then uh, board on the board of directors for the uh, the group that ran Mallory's Brands Hatch, Netterton, and Alton Park. Mm-hmm. And during that period, we ran World you know, Formula One, 
World Championship Endurance, uh, FIA. I mean, we ran 200 events a year over wow. the fourth circuit. And I was responsible as operations director for all of them. Then when Des's career um, reached the pinnacle, which was Ken Turrell asking her to drive, but we didn't have the money, so he gave the, the drive to Michele Alberetto. But she was the first choice, which was rather nice. Oh, yes. Then we came to America to you know, uh, see if we can make something happen here. She had done some IMSA racing here. Mm-hmm. So you know, we had some contact. Uh, Bernie Eccleston actually asked me to come here and try and start a Formula One race in New York City. But uh, we were beaten by the Sierra Club, who sued the city for giving us the permission. Oh, goodness. So I ended up working with Jim Truman, doing a street race in Columbus, Ohio, as CEO, designing the track. And then we just, you know, went on from there and in, did the uh, IndyCar race in Denver, then designed a couple of tracks while I was doing that, mainly street tracks in Dallas and Grand Rapids and Minneapolis. And then 92 went on my own and just purely as a racetrack design. Mm-hmm. Des and I, you know, ran that business. And then late 90s, while I was doing track design, Roger Werner, who started Speed Vision, who I'd worked with at uh, the Denver Grand Prix, asked me to get involved with the SCCA uh, World Challenge, which he had taken sponsorship of under Speed Vision. So we restructured that, built it up very quickly in three years to be one of the leading championships in the country. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he sold to uh, Fox. And I used the opportunity to, you know, finish up there and get back into my track design business. Basically, I did that until we got to Miller Motorsports Park, where I was asked to design it, then asked to run it uh, for the first three years of operation, which we did. And then uh, I retired, thinking I could uh, play golf or something like that, (laughs) but uh, ended up doing a lot of work in Korea and China. Yeah, and that's basically where I'm focusing at the moment. I'm still doing, you know, the occasional other track, as I say, thermal. I've been working on, and I'm working on one in Canada. But most of the time now, I'm focused on China. Wow! Well, an amazing, amazing life around the automotive racing industry, and it's just fantastic to have you here. And being married to a fellow race car driver as well must just add another element to both of your lives with you and Desiree. It's just incredible. I I love it. Really appreciative that you're here today. As we continue on this amazing journey of your life around automobiles, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah. Alan, I know you're a racer, so take the wheel. Success quote quote is difficult because I've I've never been a a guy standing out front saying, you know, Barnum and Bailey, it's me. I always like operating behind the scenes and, you know, I don't use, uh, I'm not ego driven from that point of view. So I'm more interested in the operational and the organizational and behind the scenes things. Mm-hmm. So I don't put myself out there. So I don't really have any success quote as such other than um, I'm very proud of what I've achieved. Mm-hmm. And I'm you know, even more proud of what, what my wife has achieved, and we've done it together. We've had our niche. We've been very successful in our own way. Sure. So success doesn't mean you have to have a big ego. <laughs> there you go. Well, there's a quote for you. I love that. You know, what's really interesting to me is the automotive or the racing 
lifestyle is very challenging for people. And the fact that you both found a life together to do this, were there were there challenges involved with that, with how you both continue your careers back when Desiree was racing and you were involved in tracks? Or how did you mold those two lives together? Well, the main thing is um, I thought I was, you know, Formula One material when I was driving Formula Ford. You know, obviously I wasn't, but that doesn't stop you thinking. <laughs> and then this, uh, she's seven years younger than me. She came along, jumped in a car, and the first few races I had cleaned her clock. And then the week before she got married, she passed me, decided that I would give up a place if she pointed her car straight at me, so which I did. <laughs> and uh, she then went on to get fast slapped and became the best Formula Ford driver in South Africa of, of her era. Wow. And when we got to that stage, I looked and I said, there's no way I can beat her, but she can beat a hell of a lot of the people. Yeah. So we you know that's when we sold both cars, bought a, new, a newer one, still three years old. She won the championship. And then, you know, I basically, for the next year, I was a mechanic when we lived in Holland and she raced. I mean, she did about 36 races that year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was great fun. Some days we'd go without meals because... Uh, the cost of a tire was more than the cost of a couple of meals. <laughs> yes. But, you know, that's what you do when you're that age and you, uh, you're you pushing hard. Yes. I was lucky enough when she raced Brands Hatch in the Celebrity Race to meet John Webb, who was the CEO and who invented Formula Ford and Formula Ford 2000 and Formula 5000 and Sports 2000 and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. He took me under the wing and made me to IC in his company and put a lot of effort and got theirs into Formula One, the British Formula One Championship, as a promotion to sell the series, which worked very well. And that got her up right onto the fringes of Formula One. And I ended up uh, you know, with a reputation for organization that stood me well when I came into uh, came to North America, Jim Truman was my first guru here in, in, in America. Mm-hmm. He basically gave me the ability to do what I needed to do to get the Columbus Street Race going, and that led to you know, other opportunities, and that led into the track design business. Wow. So, so those were the two most influential people in my life you know, at that stage. Yes, Absol- well, absolutely. part of your story brings to mind that, that saying, if you can't beat them, join them. In your case, if you can't beat her, marry her. So, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment in your life, as you yes. remember, yes. when you knew you were a car guy? I was nine years old, mm-hmm. and I was at boarding school, and I was in the infirmary with another guy who I didn't know at the time, and we both had appendicitis. No, we both had stomach aches, which they called appendicitis. Mm. We ended up sharing a ward and being bored stiff, and he had the book Challenge Be the Race by Mike Hawthorne, mm. <laughs> which was the story of his 1958 championship. So you know, we read it, I read it, and then we started racing our hospital beds across the ward. They were in little casters by bouncing them across until the nurse came in and gave us hell. <laughs> and she became interested in racing then, and then, uh, you know, my dad was, you know, interested so we'd go and watch a lot of local races yeah and then as soon as i could i bought a motorcycle and i wasn't allowed to race but i rallied it and i did everything else and did hill climbs because those weren't considered dangerous mm-hmm. not really you can fall off just as hard yes <laughs> that's where it started wow very cool i love it great book too by the late great mike hawthorne 
Alan, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You've been in a career path that is fraught with ups and downs, racing and and track design and, and managing facilities around track designs. Would you share a huge challenge or a great failure with us that you faced along the way in your career? But the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? Well, because Des is racing and my my being associated with it, you know, is is one and the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, she she was the brilliant person who did all the racing, but the two of us being married and now we've just been celebrated our fortieth wedding wedding anniversary. Congratulations! We had no money, zilch. Mm-hmm. So there was no way we could put anything in in the money after our year in Formula Ford two thousand in Europe. That's when we came back at the end of that season. We were flat broke. We went to England. We had like 250 pounds that we had borrowed from her mom Mm -hmm. and started from nothing. So without money, you're always, you know, fighting an uphill battle. And and we're not, you know, Des is not the only person because there are thousands of race drivers who have got all the talent in the world but can never get anywhere because they don't have the opportunity to move to the next class. Mm Mm-hmm. She was not only able to take advantage of any opportunity. In other words, if somebody said, you know, here's my car, jump in it and see what you can do. Mm-hmm. She would typically qualify it in the top four or five and race well. And that would open a door to somebody else. And that would open a door to somebody else. And that took her all the way to the edge of Formula One. Wow. And incidentally, in her first Formula One uh, Grand Prix, which was then the South African Championship, was part of the World Championship, which was subsequently declassified because of the FIA uh, uh, Bernie Eccleston fights, and it was it and the Spanish Grand Prix were taken off the championship after they had run as World Championship. So, so, so although she ran in a World Championship, it doesn't show on any record. Oh, I see. But in, but in that race, you know, she had a mid-to-back marker car, mm-hmm. the Tyrrell, but she caught and passed Eddie Cheever, who is her teammate, and caught and passed Nigel Mansell in the factory Lotus and wow. drove away from them. Wow. So, you know, that was sort of the highlight. Yeah. But at every stage, there was, a, you know, a problem afterwards because these, uh, she won the Formula One race at Brands Hatch, uh, was way faster than Kevin Gogan, who is her teammate. And yet, when the money ran out for the team, Kevin stayed on and Des was dropped. Yeah. Even though she was, you know, second in the championship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the point I'm making is that for every two steps forward, you take one step back. Yes, yes. And yes. that's been the case all the way through. And that's just life. Yeah. You know, there's nothing bitchy about it. It's just the way it is. Absolutely. You know, if you're not, if you're not born with a golden spoon, or silver spoon, whatever they call it, <laughs> yes. um, you've got to make do with the wooden ladle, you know, wooden one. The wooden ladle, yes. Well, yeah. it... I've had many racers on this show, and it's the same thing. It's a constant battle, the money factor. And I guess that's why back in the day you saw so many racers come from wealthy families. They could buy their way into a seat and uh Yeah, and race. that's always been the case. Yeah. You know, it still take, it takes talent to be at the front. Mm-hmm. No question. Yes. You know, and it's good to see you know, people you know, who don't have the money be successful. Yes, yeah. It's a very tough, tough industry. Let's shift gears here, Alan, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those career aha moments. I like to say it's a time when the headlights came on and illuminated your way for a new idea or a new direction you had in your career. And tell us the steps that you took to turn your aha moment into a success. 
That's a difficult one because I've been involved in so many different things. Mm-hmm. As I say, you, know, you go forward and then for one reason or another, it stops. Right. And then you start again and you move. To, so, but it, it always stopped at a peak, which was, which was lucky. For example, when we ran the British Grand Prix, the year that I, I left Brands Hatch is the year we won the award for the best organized Grand Prix of the year. Okay. So I was, I was operations director, so you know, it wasn't given to me personally, but it was something that was a, a moment that I'll never forget. We ran the Columbus Grand Prix. didn't make money. Well, it did make money, but we had a huge debt we had to overcome at the beginning for various reasons I won't get into. But each, t- each event was acclaimed as a very, very you know, high-quality event. Mm-hmm. And I still get people come to me and say, wow, that was a fantastic event. Yes. So... And then, you know, when, when it ended, because they knocked the bridge down, that the track was going to run over, um, and there was no point in sticking on. I moved to Denver. We ran two world championships, uh, sorry, two IndyCar events, but lost a fortune because of the contracts that my predecessor, CEO, had, had, had entered into. Mm. So when that came to an end, you know, it was a high because we had a huge crowd and everyone loved the event, but boom, wasn't there again. Sure. So, you know, so those were peaks. And then when we decided to start our own track design business, it sort of just evolved. And, uh, you know, we, we had a comfortable life and thing. But then uh, we got to a point where first Miller came on. And that was, you know, spectacular for us because Miller was, was adjudged the, the best new racetrack of 2006. Mm, we went yes. to Europe to pick up that award. And we ran the World Superbike and got the award for the best organized race of the year in our very first event. Wow. And, you know, and things like that. So those are all highs. Yes. But they've all been, you know, racing is terrible because no matter how good you are, it comes to an end. And you've got to pick <laughs> up and carry on. You're only as good as the last race, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you, and Miller, I've had the luxury of, of attending some races there. It's such an amazing facility. I'm, I'm sad to see recently I just read that it was closing down. Well, no, it's, no, it's not. Oh, it's not. It's simply, it's simply that the, the, the Miller family, when, when Larry Miller died, the emphasis on the track as a benevolent uh, facility for, for the community went away mm. um, and became a a financial burden to the com- to the, the Miller Group mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, for, for a variety of very logical reasons. And they are have re- totally restructured the company, like all the family are no longer directly involved They're on the board. I think I understand why, but it no longer makes sense for them to be it, uh, uh, associated with something that's not their their livelihood, right. which is selling cars and running the jazz. Yeah. So they've just simply announced that they're giving up the lease. I see. Okay. The the facilities intact will remain intact, and in fact, we're working right now with a group of people who are probably going to take it over as a going concern. You know, Wonderful. there's always a transition. Yes. And I think it will transition into a, a very stable, long-term facility. It will just it just won't have the the Miller name. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I really appreciate that. You've had many proud moments in your career, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? 
watching Des win her, her Formula One race. <laughs> tell us, a, tell us a little bit about that race. We'd love to hear. Well, about she, it. she was driving in the British Formula One Championship, which that's the, that time, 1979, was akin to Formula Two as the leading, uh, the next step below Grand Prix, mm-hmm. and it was considered at that stage above. The IndyCar, which I think was still USEC, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not saying there weren't brilliant drivers in IndyCar. They just weren't recognized in Europe because Europe always looked down on America, you know, uh. by definition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, when she won that race, it was in a, in a, uh, a one-year-old Tyrrell uh, DFE. Wow. Sorry, sorry. She had run in 79 in a Tyrrell and had a, a pretty good season, but in those days the ground ground effects cars were coming in. So whereas she finished third in the first five races, by the end of the season the car wasn't competitive with the ground effects, you know, loads and things. Mm-hmm. So the following year she drove a three-year-old Wolf ex Jody Schechter, seventy-seven Wolf. This is in 1980, and at Brands Hatch she was running in a field that, for example, includes Lotus 78 which is a newer car, and two Williams FW07s, which were one-year-old, mm-hmm. and way better cars. And she won the race, going wow. away. And so that was pretty special. The end of the previous year, she had been given her Formula One super license. So at, in 81, when Ken Turrell invited her to race in the South African Grand Prix, there was no issue. She had her super license. Yes. And there have been very few women who've actually had that, I think only three have actually had that level. Incredible, and wonderful story. Four, four of them. Yeah. Four, yeah, very, very few. Wonderful. So, so, so if if there was a highlight in my life, it has been party to that. Yes. But in terms of mine, I think it was opening the first ALMS race at Miller, mm. mm-hmm. which we did. You know what? Six weeks after we opened the facility, with a staff that only three people had ever seen a race. Wow. Wow. And you know, six weeks later, we ran a very successful, very highly complemented LMS race. Wow. That was a big step because essentially we dealt in a market that didn't know racing. I dealt with a staff that, as I say, only three of us had ever seen a race. Man. Holy and, cow. <laughs> and yet, yet it ran absolutely smoothly and everybody liked it. So, yeah, that, yeah that's the type of thing that, that you know, I'm proud of. Well, it was a wonderful facility. As I said, I attended some ALMS races there, and just everything was top-notch. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? And if you could share a memory that you had with that car. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had an MGA hardtop 1955. Nice. 1500cc. I had a DKW Junior before that, which you don't really want to know anything about because <laughs> it's a pretty crappy little car. Yeah, tough little car. <laughs> but but I, sa- I saved up some money and I bought this when I was at university and I did a lot of, I wasn't allowed to race it because I was under 21. My dad wouldn't sign. But somehow he, he was of the misconception that rallying was safer than racing, <laughs> which it obviously wasn't. Yeah. And I, I rallied that and I hill climbed that and I autocrossed that and I had a, I had a ball. That was a fabulous car. And the int- the interesting thing about that car, it was 1955. Mm-hmm. If you look at the records for MGA hardtops, they were only made from 1956 onwards. Mm. Okay. And the VIN number showed that it had been built in December 55. So I can only think that it was a pre-production. Okay. But it was obviously one of the very, very early ones. Yes. 
you know, I sold it to a friend of mine when I couldn't afford to replace the Healy coil in the uh, in the fuel pump. <laughs> yes. Two dollar fifty because I was at university and broke. Yeah. And you know, he gave me enough money for the car to buy a bike, so which I started trailing and then eventually racing. But <laughs> um, I always, you know, think I'd love to have kept that car. Yes. Problem was that the, he rebuilt it totally. And bring you to university to show it to me. He totaled it into, oh. the, into a Mark II Jag that turned across in front of him. Oh no! That car'd be worth quite a lot of money now. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Was it that MG, or is there something else? Probably that MG. Mm-hmm. You know, now at the time, no, I was more interested in something that went faster. Yes, <laughs> but when I think now, yeah, that that would be a true collector's car, and yeah, yeah. probably that, yeah. How about current projects? I know you've, you're a, a designer of racetrack now. Is there a project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, there are three. One that's been going on for a long time, and we finally, right at the end of the permitting process in Canada, just in between Edmonton and, and Calgary, mm-hmm. that will be a great facility if and when it gets built. The other is the thermal project, which is now in its third phase. We've built the two the two southern tracks, and now I'm working right now. In fact, I've got the drawing on my computer in front of me yeah. of the third track, which will be added. They'll probably start working on it this year, and I should say early next year it'll open. Mm-hmm. That's pretty special because it's different. But the one that I've got one under construction in China at the moment, about three and a half hours south of, of um, Shanghai. Mm-hmm. But there's another major project which is going through the permitting process on Hainan Island, which is down south. That's the island where the American plane, uh, uh, spy plane, was was borrowed by the Chinese and stripped uh, to little pieces. Uh, okay. And uh, but that's a fantastic project if it can get permitted. But you know something. The next project is always the, the most exciting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you sound like Dr. Ferry Porsche when he talked about, he was always asked what's his favorite Porsche, and he would always answer by saying the next one. Yeah, so, and that's true. Yes. I, I'm exactly the same position uh, because I learned, I learned from all the previous ones. Yes, absolutely. You know, my wife was a civil engineer in her uh, early career, and I was telling her that we'd be talking today. She was very excited because, of course, civil engineers, she would design roadways and things. And she was asking if you were, had any engineering in your background. Is that nope. something that, that's not required for designing a racetrack? Well, yes, it is, but I'm not. Uh, I, I, I have a business degree. But uh, mine, I approach mine from a different perspective. I approach mine because I was organizing and operating racetracks. Mm. So when I got into designing them, it was initially to make sure that they were feasible projects that could be managed and operated. Ah. And then I, I grew into the shape of the corners and everything, um, mainly through Dares, through my wife, because she knows them from a racing perspective. Yes. So now that I race a Porsche GT3 Cup as well, I'm learning so much more about you know, what to put into a corner to make it work for the, for the, for the you know, to challenge the driver. Very cool. So... But I've learned to work with engineers, and I've taught myself CAD, and uh, so I work in AutoCAD. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, there are two ways of doing a track. You do it from an artistic point of view, or you do it from an engineering point of view. Mm. Because I'm not an engineer, I do it from the, the artistic point of view, and then I translate that 
into terms that engineers can take and build it. Very interesting. Very cool. Wonderful. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Alan. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? I would be a Mercedes CLS. And why is that? You answered that question very quickly. Because we have one. We've had one <laughs> since 2007, six. Mm-hmm. It's a fabulous car. It's high quality. Mm-hmm. It's, to- it's got very high integrity, in fact, in that nothing ever breaks. Mm. does everything you want. It's got the ability to go like hell. Mm-hmm. It looks good. People right. admire it. There you go. And it just, every time you get into it, you smile. <laughs> Wonderful. So, you know, if I, if I could say what car would I be today, it would be a CLS. Very nice. Loved it. So, Alan, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, we're going to say thank you to our Cars Yeah sponsor. No more worries about a dead battery. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium-ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology and a reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle every time. It includes a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight, and it easily recharges with USB outlets so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality, design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at Genius Chargers All right, Alan, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You know what this means? The white flag is out. We're nearing the end, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? It's what I I learned as opposed to actually received, Mm -hmm. because I can't put a name to it. Integrity. Integrity. In, In racing, your name is everything. Yes. In the motorsport industry. And if you don't have integrity, you don't uh, get the next job. Absolutely. Same in business and pretty much the same for life. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Hard work. Mm, yes, <laughs> very much so. Do you have a resource that you think the Cars yeah listeners would really enjoy? No, not really, because the people who I've lent on, unfortunately, have all passed. The three key people in, in my life were John Webb of Brands Hatch, Jim Truman, and Larry Miller, mm, for, yeah. all for different reasons. Yes. I think if I, if I think a book that, it, that affected me very early on was Piero Terifi's, uh, you know book on teaching driving, but of course now it's totally out of date. Mm-hmm. But then I guess so am I. <laughs> well, that was my next question. Is there a book that you've read recently that you think the Cars Yeah listeners would enjoy? A long time ago, Townsend's book, The Peter Principle. Well, because it's, such, it, it's more common sense than anything. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and then Outliers. I found that very useful in dealing with the Koreans. Mm, okay. It gave me an insight there to the way to deal with people who have a different perspective on life or different things. So those those two books, yeah. Great, wonderful. And basically in any history book. I love uh, history. <laughs> yes, very important. Do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? Writing, writing, writing. yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. I've written two books, published two books. One is a, a story on Des called uh, Desire to Race. Oh, okay. So that has sold quite well. It's 
you know, wrote it a few years ago, mm-hmm. and it's it's her biography, and it's gone down extreme. It was actually number two in the Guild of Motoring Writers Awards in England in 2010. Oh, well, congratulations. Awesome. And you mentioned a second book? Yeah, sorry, that was called Driven by Desire. Driven uh, by Desire. Yes. Okay. And it's the Desiree Wilson story. Wonderful. And the other was a novel that I wrote last year called Zapped. Zapped? And what is that about? That's a fascinating one. It's basically the story of an American kid who gets into Formula One working as as a computer engineer. It's all built into current Formula One with all the politics and the, you know, the backstabbing and everything, Hmm. which which is a, a backstory. But the primary story is that he... See, he finds, because of his computer uh, sensing of things that are going around, that a particular team is uh, interfering with the electronics of cars on the track using high-tech military equipment, Ah. um, electronics, and affecting their performance on the track. That's the ZAP title. (laughs) That's the ZAP. Yes. And the interesting thing about it is that I wrote that before it became general knowledge that you can zap cars. You can Mm. zap any electronic car on the road today so that the potential exists for a kid with a a, a cell phone to cause a multiple accident on a highway by taking over control of a car. That's all proven now. And I I was able to research it. And the interesting thing is that one of the guys who read it when it was still being edited Mm-hmm. had spent the last 30 years of his life working with the military and communication in uh, Virginia, very high secrecy. Mm-hmm. And he read it, and he turned to me and he said, and I'm not going to use the language, how the dot, dot, dot did you know? Hmm. Wow. And just, you know, thing. So just so you know, magnetic impulses can and could destroy motorsports entirely. Because oh. all it takes is somebody in a grandstand to say, I don't like that guy leading. Zap. Yeah, and there's that. Anyway, wow. that's what the book's about. Amazing. Well, I'm so happy you shared those two books with us. I'll make sure that I list them on your show notes page. Zapped is an iBook. iBook, so you okay. Get it, you, you get it uh, on the internet. There you go. Wonderful. Anyway, thanks for letting me get that in. Yes. That's my, that's my hobby is writing. Very cool. Fan- fantastic. I love it. All right, we're up to the checkered flag here, Alan, and this last question can be a real doozy for a car guy like you. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today I'll buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be? One, one of the 12 lightweight E-Type Jags from 1982. Oh, <laughs> very nice. Now, what is it about the Jaguar lightweight there, E-Type? This is race two of them. Mm, okay. There you go. You got history. 1962, not 82, 1962. 62. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I thought that's what you meant, but yeah, 1960. Oh, wonderful cars. There's a, a local gentleman up here I know in the Pacific Northwest that has one of those cars. Greg has one and he drives it. He drives it to Cars and Coffee. I uh, had it there a couple of weeks ago and uh, I got to spend a whole day photographing that car once. Beautiful, beautiful cars. Yeah, they, were, they were awesome cars. Yes. They were fantastic. The prettiest cars ever made. Well, they yeah. just made some uh, new versions of those yeah. recently, so yeah. you can you can purchase those. I think, although they're probably all gone, I'm sure. But uh, oh, I think they were all gone before they even announced them, yeah. and they went for a million plus. Yes, yeah, I saw one yeah. at Laguna Seca. 
uh, last summer. And, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Sexy, beautiful cars. Great. Well, the Jaguar E-Type is what started it all for me when I was a little boy. My father bought me a Jaguar matchbox car by a matchbox by Lesney. And, uh, I still have that little red Jag sitting here on my desk. Wonderful. Alan, you've taken me on a very fun ride today around the track. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your amazing journey in life with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that lightweight E-Type Jag? Okay, here it is. It's strange because I only found, like, saw it last week. Mm-hmm. I was in a bookshop at Denver Airport, and there was one of those cards, you know, with slogans and things. Yes, And it said, when a caterpillar comes to the end of its life, it becomes a butterfly. And you think think about it. All my life, I've had periods of of, boom and bust, boom and bust. And not bust because of lack of uh, ability or anything, because opportunities just went away. Something changed. But every single one of those has opened up a better opportunity. Ah, wonderful way to go through life, wonderful way to think about life. A very opportunity, opportunistic rather, that you ran into that card before we talked here just recently. Yeah. I think that's great. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing? We've got a website. Um, it's wilsonmotorsport.com. I've been there. It's a great website. I encourage the listeners to go. And again, you'll find links to everything that Alan has shared with us today at carsyad.com slash Alan Wilson. Just put Alan in the search box and his show notes page will pop right up. Alan, thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing all of your experiences with me and the listeners. It's been fantastic. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!